Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Shana Tova, and uh, welcome everybody. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to be with you all uh, on this uh, second day of Rosh Hashanah morning. Uh, and uh, for those of you who are here with us, uh, we, we welcome you. For those of you who are watching this uh, or listening to this uh, after the fact, we hope you have a, a healthy, a happy and healthy uh, and sweet new year. Uh, we are, uh, I'm very thankful this morning uh, to be joined by uh, my dear friend and teacher, Rabbi Jack Moline, president of Interfaith Alliance. Hi, Rabbi Moline. Hi. Nice to have you. It's always a pleasure to be in conversation with you, Mike, whatever the subject. <laughs> and we have a, a, a doozy of a subject today uh, in, in a couple of different directions. Um, of, of course, we have been living uh, for well over six months now um, under the shadow of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, which has um, brought uh, untold hardship to so many people, uh, whether it be illness or, or, or death, uh, financial loss, uh, loss of uh, employment, uh, the challenges, uh, as, uh, as I know you know, uh, of, uh, of, of being working parents and, and uh, homeschooling children simultaneously. Um, it's, it's just been a really, really trying time. And add on to that, um, what was already a, a period of, of, of incredible upheaval in our, our country, uh, and uh, uh, which was exacerbated, uh, no doubt, by the pandemic, and the upheaval exacerbated the pandemic, uh, but also uh, was, was intensified over the summer uh, by, uh, a- after the, the, um, the, the murder of George Floyd um, uh, at the hands of police uh, in Minneapolis, uh, and which prompted a national reckoning over uh, racial injustice. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, in, in recent weeks, uh, incredible, extraordinary, uh, terrible wildfires uh, across the uh, West Coast uh, that have uh, uh, killed many, displaced others, uh, uh, and uh, have us all uh, seeing uh, right in front of us, uh, the impacts of uh, global climate change, which uh, was also made evident in recent hurricanes in the South and Southwest. Um, there's just a, a lot of trial and a lot of challenge right now. Uh, and then to add insult to injury, perhaps, uh, we, we learn on Era Rosh Hashanah of the uh, death of uh, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg of blessed memory. Um, which is a, a national tragedy wherever you are on the political spectrum, um, but also just adds fuel to an already raging fire um, that's engulfing our, our country uh, at the moment, a, a time of trial. And so maybe it's fitting that we read about uh, a trial uh, in the Torah portion for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is uh, a, a story known as Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac from Genesis chapter 22. Uh, a, a story that's framed as a trial it begins uh, with verse one. Sometime later, God put Abraham to the test. And, uh, and we know, of course, that the, the story continues with God commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. He takes Isaac 
uh, they uh, travel to Mount Moriah where uh, Abraham takes Isaac atop the mountain, binds him to an altar, uh, and raises his hand to sacrifice him, uh, and is, uh, spoiler alerts out there to folks, uh, is uh, stopped by an angel uh, mid-slice, uh, and uh, uh, Isaac is uh, saved, um, and, uh, and, and the, uh, the line through Isaac um, is uh, able to continue, uh, and the story concludes with, uh, with, with Abraham returning uh, to uh, his uh, lads who are with him and, and returning home. Uh, and uh, we don't know uh, exactly what happens to Isaac at the end of the story because um, Isaac, uh, it's not said anyway, uh, that Isaac uh, descends the mountain with Abraham. So this is an incredibly complicated, challenging, uh, disturbing story uh, and, uh, and maybe something that's, uh, that either uh, exacerbates the, uh, the the challenges of the moment, or maybe can help illuminate the challenges of the moment. And and so I want to turn that over to you, uh, Rabbi Moline. Um, when you look at the story of of trial, um, what in it do you find that can help us navigate the trials of this moment or or any moment? So uh, first of all, thanks for that buzzkill before I got to talk, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, you set him up and you knock him down. There you go. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to answer in a way that I suspect you don't expect because I would not have expected me to answer this way um, even a few weeks ago. I was uh, having a conversation with a therapist, uh, someone who does psychological therapy. We, we were talking about dreams. And she said to me, you know, everything in a dream is from inside your own head. Now, if you're listening to this, uh, and, and this is a piece of news to you, you're not alone, because I'm 68 years old. And when she said that to me, it, it had never occurred to me that the people I interact with in my dreams, the visitations that I have from relatives from beyond the great beyond, that the, the experiences that I have are, are not things that are happening to me, they're happening in me. And so when I went to look at this at this text again, in preparation for this conversation, I noticed in verse three that, um, and, and I'll, I'll read it for you. Early the next morning, Abraham saddled his ass and took with him his, his, uh, his uh, servants and his son Isaac. So if Abraham did this early the next morning, he did it when he first got up. And, and our sages are very clear that Abraham rushed to do this. He wanted to fulfill God's will as soon as possible. It says to me that when God spoke to Abraham, when God put Abraham to the test, it was in a dream. As Jews, we're always looking for the story in dreams. And there are so many dreams, particularly in the book of Genesis. Um, and, and they are supposed to convey something from beyond the self. But what if this story is about Abraham dealing with his own internal demons? What if the instructions from God were Abraham's uh, way of dealing with what he saw as, as a hopeless future for himself. He, he got up and he needed to do something about it. He needed to address that which was going on in himself. And I wonder now that we're living this, this global nightmare, um, if at least some of what we're going through isn't, uh, isn't what we're challenged about from within ourselves rather th than from without. This isn't just about this little tiny virus that is circulating around us. 
it isn't just about what what we are hearing from other people as they as they talk about our social circumstances. It isn't just about what is happening to other people who who look differently, who live in a different socioeconomic circumstance than we do. These are the struggles we're having internally. What kind of world do I live in? And and do I have the the ability, in fact, do I have the capacity to change the future, in Abraham's case, in a very negative way, or we hope in our own circumstances here in Rosh Hashanah, in a very positive way in the year to come. So that's that's what I'm thinking about when I read this story. What is our capacity to change our future? That's that's so powerful. I want to dig into that for Please. a minute. I, you know, I talked yesterday uh, about, um, I, I quoted Brene Brown in her book, Braving the Wilderness, who, who said, she wrote this in 2017, but I think it's, it's certainly applicable today. She, she diagnosed uh, our, our country, I think. I don't think she was talking about the whole world, although probably right. could apply to the whole world too. She diagnosed a, a collective spiritual crisis. And, and what, you know, what, her, her, what she meant by that, she defined spirituality as um, recognizing and celebrating the, the connections between us all. Uh, and, uh, and, and she you know, looked around and, and, and noted the, the many ways in which, um, at least in our perception, um, those and in policy, in a lot of ways, those connections have been deliberately severed, and in which we no longer see ourselves as inextricably connected with with one another. And all the more so, we don't celebrate those connections. And, and it strikes me that uh, that that undergoing that kind of spiritual crisis um, is is part and parcel of what has made this coronavirus pandemic. Um, so deeply challenging for, for so many of us, uh, in part because we've had to uh, we, we've had to uh, be physically isolated from from one another. And so, you know, when we when we already no longer feel our inextricable connections to one another, when we're physically separated, all the more so um, it it, it uh, elevates that that uh, lack of feeling of, of connection. Um, but it also, you know, uh, leads us to to do things like, you know, hoard resources and to, um, you know, to 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 believe that, you know, wearing a mask is only about my own self protection rather than protecting other people, and and on and on. Um, and and so I guess my question to you is, if, if that's true, right? If if you know, if the trial that we're experiencing is an inner trial, right, is a, is is a, a spiritual challenge that we that each of us and all of us have internally. Um, what's, what's the fix? What's the cure? Boy, I, I, if I had the answer to that, I would, when this virus was over, be king of the world, I think. The, it, it's a hard thing to, to answer. Um, just before we, we came on the public part of this conversation, you were musing about what was going to be different permanently in the future when, when uh, this experiment that we're all having on this high holidays is over. Uh, we, we've eliminated, I think you said, we've eliminated the geographic uh, barriers among us so that, uh, you know, we could simultaneously, almost simultaneously, be in Richmond, be in New York City, be in Jerusalem, and be in Los Angeles, and, and participating in each place. Um, I don't know that we'll be able to eliminate these permissions that we had in this unusual hour uh, to be on the internet. Uh, for the high holidays or for Shabbat or whatever it happens to be. Uh, so 
So there are, there are the tools there for us to see how we might be able to, uh, to work with all of this, to deal with this trial. But, but Abraham almost seems to be yearning for the status quo ante. He is, he's looking for something that is familiar, that is something that existed in his life for a hundred years before his son was born. And, uh, and it is almost as if he is yearning to go back to those times. He is, I won't say afraid because I, I think to call Abraham afraid of anything is, is ridiculous, but he is challenged by change. He is, uh, he prefers the devil he knows to the one that he doesn't know. And uh, we may be having that issue as well. Um, it took us the better part of these six months to get used to doing uh, synagogue and, and other social activities on, on a screen that looked like something from the Brady Bunch or Hollywood Squares, uh, which gives away my age, right? But, um, but what will tomorrow bring if we're given the opportunity to go back to the way things were and not bring with us the blessings like, like this very moment that are happening because the coronavirus has challenged our way of perceiving what tomorrow looks like? That, that's a lot, I think, what is going on in this story. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. You know, I was, um, it was pointed out to me uh, earlier in the week uh, that, uh, that, that in the story, really, you know, Abraham, you know, is asked to choose between his father and his son, in a, in a way, right? right. And, uh, and, 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 and I love that framing of, of choosing essentially between, between past and future. And, how many of us, you know, uh, uh, long for the past and, and fear the future. But at the same time, I think that you're pointing out that the, that the brave new world in which we've, we've entered and, you know, even as we might yearn for the way things were that we've kind of leaned into here um, is not, you know, is not all for the blessing, right? I was, I was thinking about this last night. I'll just, you know, do a mea culpa here be, yeah. on Rosh Hashanah before Yom Kippur. We, we had our uh, Rosh Hashanah underground service, which has become an annual tradition. And it was, it's Saturday night. Uh, this year, Motzei Shabbat, and for the Kiddush for Rosh Hashanah evening on on Saturday night, you include Havdalah, uh, the the prayer to to take you out of Shabbat and uh, normally into the week, but in this case to move from Kodesh to Kodesh, from from Holy Day to Holy Day. Um, and uh, uh, typically, the uh, the the law would be that you can uh, on on Yom Tov, but not Shabbat, you can transfer a flame from an existing flame. Uh, and, uh, and, and have a new candle that way. So you would have lit a flame before Shabbat uh, and then had that flame still going so that you could light your Havdalah candle or just use that flame for, um, for, for Havdalah. Uh, and and you, I, I'm, I, I'm gonna attribute this, I'm gonna blame the technology on this you know, more than just my own, my own uh, um, negligence. But, um, but I, I think I, I, you know, I become so accustomed at this point to, you know, kind of leaving behind all of my uh, prior baggage about, you know, what you should and shouldn't do right. on Shabbat and Yom Tov that like, it didn't occur to me at that moment that I couldn't just light a, uh, a lighter and light my Havdalah candle, which is what I did. The rest of the evening, I'm totally racked with guilt about this because I, I, I can't remember the last time I've, I've lit a flame on Shabbat, but it, but it goes to show you on some level, the wisdom of the rabbis of what, you know, when they say, make a fence around the Torah, because yep. if you don't, you'll find yourself, 
you know, justifying or just naturally doing any manner of things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So I'll, I'll say two things here. First of all, I'll channel Lady Yitzhak of Berdichev and suggest to you that, thank God, at the last minute, you sinned so that you have something to do when Yom Kippur rolls around. I already had a couple of things on my mind, but that, you know, <laughs> I'll add that to the list anyway. But uh, the other thing is, I know exactly what you're talking about. We had an absolutely wonderful Rosh Hashanah yesterday. Unfortunately, my, my whole family wasn't able to be here because of circumstances, but, but some of my family was here and the rest of us were able to connect on, uh, on, uh, online. Um, and, and it was such a good day. It didn't feel, I don't want to say this wrong. It didn't feel like a holy day. It felt like a holiday. And, um, and I just was, I was in the best mood I've been in on Rosh Hashanah for, for as long as I can remember but it was not the same mood I've been in on Rosh Hashanah for as long as I remember. So that, that is the challenge of moving forward into a different kind of world. That's the challenge I think that Abraham faced when, when, he, uh, when he heard a voice inside of him, whether that was his own ambivalence or whether that was God testing his, his readiness for the future saying, um, Things could be the way they were if only you would do this for me. And um, uh, nostalgia is a powerful and sometimes a very dangerous pull for people. Yeah, as, as we've um, learned and, and discovered time and again. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about this, though. You, you've intrigued me uh, by uh, your the dichotomy you set up by uh, saying, you know, you were, you were in a better mood than you've ever been on Rosh Hashanah morning, um, but not maybe the mood that you were hoping to be in or, or the, right. the way in which you were hoping to feel. So I'm, I'm wondering about this because it's, I think, raised by the story is um, what ought to be the relationship between um, our religious practice and our happiness, right? Um, I, I know that you and I are both in some ways uh, um, uh, students of, or, or, or uh, in your case, uh, probably more a colleague and teacher of uh, Rabbi Erwin Kula. I knew you were uh, going to say that name. Yeah. <laughs> And he, he very much talks about, you know, Judaism uh, and religion in general, you know, needing to be for the purpose of human flourishing. And often we equate, you know, or he's, he has at times equated human flourishing with, uh, with, with, with happiness, right? So I'm, I'm wondering about that, right? I mean, clearly in this story, right, Abraham believes that his religious obligation is deliberately to do something that is going to make him and, and others unhappy. Yep. And, and uh, I would say that uh, uh, happiness is something that exists only in comparison to other things. You can't, you can't maintain a constant state of happiness without it becoming ordinary. What's extraordinary about happiness is that it stands in contrast with the necessary suffering in life. Sometimes that suffering is minor, you know, like you have to share your toys. Sometimes that suffering is major, like you have to stay inside for six months because otherwise you could catch something that could kill you. Um, and so uh, it, it's good that happiness uh, peaks a little bit. Satisfaction is different than happiness. And uh, satisfaction comes, I hope, from feeling the range of emotions, including those that are negative, that gives your life uh, meaning and a sense of how to navigate uh, among the various challenges that are inevitable with a life that begins at an indeterminate time and almost and and certainly ends 
although nobody knows exactly when. And so you have to find a way to make that, that space of light in between two eternal darknesses uh, meaningful and, and satisfying and gratifying to you. So I, I always have looked to the High Holidays to give me a sense of, of awe at the responsibility that I have in front of me. Um, and while I am happy about aspects of them, there are other aspects of them, and you as a congregational rabbi experience them, experience them, experience them all the time, like spending five, six, eight hours, uh, two days in a row, telling people to stand up, sit down, and say the things that are supposed to inspire their lives. That's an awesome responsibility. Um, and I was happy when I didn't have to do it anymore, but it did make something different about my life. And and this year has been an extension of that. Right, and, and I'll you know pick up on that theme, um, to, you know, on, on on the metaphor that you use of, of darkness and light, uh, because it, it you know it, it it all it often strikes me, um, and I don't know why, but for some reason the Grateful Dead have been playing in my head a lot uh, over the course of Elul, and, and and also you know playing on my stereo over the course of Elul, uh, and. Um, they have a, a line in their song, Scarlet Begonias, where, where it says, once in a while you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right, right? And so, uh, so you know, we, we encounter all of these really um, challenging, unexpected uh, experiences like those that we're, we're navigating right now. And it's, it's possible even within those to, um, to discover both joy and, and meaning. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times during the course of the past six months, um, that you know, even as uh, my three wonderful, adorable, angelic children, um, uh, from time to time, uh, got on every last nerve that I that I have. Um, nevertheless, you know, when now that uh, now that you know, as as the high holidays approached, and I've had to uh, be more focused uh, on, um, on, on, uh, on, on work to the, to, you know, to the, um, uh, detriment of time that I was spending with, with my children during the pandemic, there's an incredible amount of loss. And it made me realize how much of a blessing it actually was to be able to have that, that intimate time with, with them, uh, over the course of the pandemic. And there's so many other examples, right? right. Things that I learned to do and did that I never would have done before. Yep. Yeah, I, I've, I've said a lot. If it weren't for so many people suffering uh, because of this pandemic, um, it would be almost paradise. Uh, my being able to be home uh, with my wife and uh, having enough space, thank God that we can do what we need to do individually and being able to find each other at a moment's notice if we have a need. Those are, those are things that we shouldn't overlook. And I'm sure if we were to look at the story of, uh, of the Akedah without uh, needing to focus on the undeniable horror of what we anticipate is about to happen, we would find that there are, there are other things that are blessings as well. I, I, I'll give you one example. I was going to ask you, what, what do you think is the light that Abraham discovers in the story, or Isaac for that matter? I, uh, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you two things, one from the story itself and one from the end of the story in my own life. Um, the story of the Akedah is, is one in which time moves at different paces from beginning to end. The three-day journey that Abraham takes from, uh, from home to mountain is covered in, in a handful of words, really a handful of words. But the, whatever it is, the half hour, 
15 minute walk that Abraham and Isaac take up the mountain is, is told with excruciating detail and takes up the bulk of this story, right? What's the blessing from that? Abraham, who was such a busy man that he essentially left the care of his son Isaac to his older brother Ishmael. We know that from, from the fact of the way they played together and that uh, Ishmael made sport of Isaac and everything. Suddenly, Abraham has this time with Isaac to have a conversation with him and to give him um, ironic and, and, and horrifying as it is to give him spiritual instruction that he's clearly never given him before. Isaac says, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham answers, God will provide. Now, how many people tell the story of their grandfather or their grandmother saying something like that to them in a moment of challenge in the course of their lives? God will take care of us. God will provide. God will be our strength. God this or God that. Abraham has never spoken of spiritual matters to his son Isaac until they start up that mountain. Hmm. Now, there's, there's a blessing that gets lost in the larger horror just like the blessings that we've just been talking about of, of being with our families have gotten lost in the larger horror of the pandemic, that people are literally on the altar and we don't know, as it says in Unatonic Tokyo, who's gonna live and who's gonna die from this plague. Um, but there's a blessing. Here's another blessing. You know, I, I, I have told this story to all three of my children who appear to have reached adulthood without being terribly traumatized by it. And I'm pretty sure it was my daughter, Jenny, who actually may be on this call right now, who when I told her that, um, that the shofar that we use on Rosh Hashanah um, is uh, reminiscent of the shofar that was on the head of the ram that Abraham found caught in the thicket. And she said to me, what happened to the other horn? That was such a wonderful question that it wound up being the subject of two sermons that I gave that year on Rosh Hashanah. It was just a wonderful question. Uh, it was a long time ago. And so um, I don't remember the sermon, but um, uh, there's a blessing that came out of this story where I would have expected a, a child with some innocence in, in hearing this story for pretty near the first time to say to me, Oh my God! How could a how could a father do that? Which is, of course, the question: Would you ever think of doing something like that to me? But uh, just being able to hear that story that I'd heard at that point, probably for 50 years, reflected back to me in a way that uh, that was fresh and new—that's uh, a blessing that came out of that horror as well. That's that's so powerful. Um, well. We're going to have to leave it there. We're at the end of the time. We are at the end of our time. We could keep on going forever. One, one thing, one question that uh, I'm going to meditate on and I want to invite uh, uh, others to meditate on who might be watching or listening to this um, is uh, you mentioned, Rabbi Moline, at the beginning of our time together uh, about, uh, about dreams. Uh, and, um, and, and it struck me, uh, something that another uh, therapist once told me, that uh, um, that you are everyone in your dreams. Yes. Right? So you might dream about other people, but but those are actually just you. projections of yourself, right? So um, so you know, in thinking about the Akedah uh, narrative as um, as as a sort of dreamscape or nightmare, um, who are you in the story? 
uh, it, right? If this is if this is a sort of uh, if if we're invited to kind of see uh, who we are in the story, right? Maybe we're Abraham, maybe we're Isaac, maybe we're the ram, maybe we're the lads who are left at the base of the mountain. Um, and and uh, and and I often wonder, you know, um, what the rabbis were thinking when they were giving us this portion to read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Which of the characters were they uh, inviting us to identify with um, and to and to think about most most closely? So I want to leave that as a as a meditation to uh, for all of us to reflect on. But I'm so grateful as always, uh, to uh, learn with you and to learn from you. I'm so grateful for your wisdom. Thank you so much, Rabbi Jack Moline, uh, for, for being with us this morning. It's an honor to be a member of this congregation. It's an honor to have you as a member of the congregation and as a friend and as a teacher. Uh, wish you and your family a Shana Tova. You too. And we'll see you soon. This has been Socially Distant, Spiritually Close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is recorded during virtual gatherings of my congregation, Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.